Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, December 15th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. We ask the mayor what the city is doing to address the shelter needs of Calgary's homeless population following the tragic death of three people earlier this week in a garden shed fire. Next, the Biden family dominated U.S. headlines this week with the Republicans pushing ahead with an impeachment inquiry of President Joe Biden and a congressional subpoena for son Hunter Biden. We get the latest from Jennifer Johnson, Global News Washington correspondent. And finally, tis the season of Christmas parties and holiday get-togethers. Of course, there's always the work Christmas party, which comes with some specific protocols. We catch up with HR professional Melanie Peacock to share some tips on how to keep things in line while still having a good time. 8.05 now, and last night there was a vigil for the three homeless folks who tragically died in a garden shed fire at Crowfoot Crossing on Monday. Are we as a city, as a community, doing enough to help those who are living rough? Joining us to talk about that and all things going on in the city of Calgary, we're joined as we are every Friday morning by Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning, Madam Mayor. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. I wanted to talk about these three folks. I mean, it's just a tragic story. And last night with the vigil, there were members of our Indigenous community who have spoken up and said, we have a problem in this city with the Indigenous community specifically living rough and homelessness. How how can we address this? What would you say to that comment? First of all, just what you said, this is an incredibly tragic loss for all of us. These are people that needed a place to live with dignity, couldn't find it, and their lives ended as a result of it. So I'm I'm saddened by this. And yes, we absolutely need to do more. And we are working actively with First Nations partners um, to understand how we can do better and how we can better access the federal and provincial government's uh, funding streams to make sure we get this right. One of the biggest problems we have is that funding for housing or homelessness uh, is either on nation or to a municipality but it doesn't focus on the fact that indigenous peoples can travel between the two locations and they have every right and ability to but we don't have housing uh, options that are culturally appropriate or focused on indigenous people so we have to do much much better is there interest in, in is there a, a process in place of looking at opening more shelter space and perhaps even more so on the west side of the city that might be underutilized at this point or underserved You know, you ask a really good question, and I would say in addition to any shelter space that we contemplate, the bigger thing we have to do is provide housing that's got the supportive services that people need. Some people are struggling with situations of poverty. Others have a disability. For some, it's a mental health issue. For others, it's addictions. You can provide any kind of shelter to somebody, but if you're not dealing with the root cause of Mm -hmm. what's got them in this situation of vulnerability, they're not going to be okay. And that's what we're not doing well right now. Mayor, did we ever, what happened with the the old uh, Greyhound bus station downtown? Did that ever get turned into a homeless space? Uh, No, it did not. It's being used for uh, other purposes right now. And we have to remember too, that there is contamination over on that side of the city. So anything that we're considering doing has to be respectful of the fact that there's a cleanup, a fairly large one that's needed. I want to uh, switch gears and talk about coming up uh, this week, Tuesday. Council will conduct a comprehensive review of the local access fee on electricity bills, something we've been talking about in, in coffee shops, maybe with neighbours and co-workers, the, the amount we pay on our bill for the actual usage of power, for example. Uh, what alternatives will be explored to help Calgarians with these energy bills, Mayor? Well, one of the conversations that has been had in coffee shops and at Council 
is that the price of uh, electricity might just go down on its own. And if that happens, well, we've got nothing to worry about. Everything's fine. Well, it's in fact not. We have to understand what happens when the price starts going up and when people get impacted the most, because this formula that we currently have is based on uh, consumption as well as pricing. And so in Edmonton, as an example, that's not the model they use. So we are going to figure out what options we have available to us and what interventions we can do quickly in the moment and which ones are going to take more time, meaning that we have to go through the regulator um, and strike a new deal and do something different. So it's a pretty big undertaking and we're going to unpack uh, the parts of it on Tuesday. Good, important one to break down for sure. Uh, Mayor, I wanted to um, ask you about the new officers that will be coming to the city. I, I think Calgary and Edmonton will both be getting, thanks to the province and the, the provincial government, some 50 new officers. How key is this on helping our public safety issues that we're having right now? Well, you know, it's, it's very important uh, to help us out because we've got an integrated response model now where we've got CPS working closely with peace and transit peace officers as well as the crisis outreach teams that uh, are comprised of the good people from Alpha House as well as uh, some folks from the healthcare sector. So depending on the call, whether it's a public safety call because someone is in a situation of crisis or it's a public safety issue that's related to crime, the right person is dispatched to the right situation. And having a greater availability of CPS officers means that we can start tackling um, more of the issues that we're seeing around organized crime, gun violence, and really start creating safer environments for people. All right. I want to touch on this uh, because, you know, I think that the way we work and where we're working from has changed for the large majority of Calgarians, Albertans, or even Canadians for that matter. And early this week, though, there was a, a, an apology uh, that was issued by Ward 13 Councillor Dan McLean uh, after he was sh- uh, sanctioned for attending a golf tournament during a council meeting. Does this, uh, is this a one-off or is this something that needs to be rejigged and, and looked at, uh, Madam Mayor, as far as attendance and, and the way council comes together? Well, I mean, there's there's two things that are important here. One is the situation at hand that's brought us to this discussion. So any member of the public that wishes to read the report of the Integrity Commissioner, it's public. And it's publicly available knowledge that a member of council was in a golf tournament instead of at a council meeting. That's an issue. And people can judge the values-based decision that was made by this member of council on their own. It's not up to me to provide that judgment. The integrity commissioner weighed in on her feeling that this was inappropriate. She provided some sanctions that we voted on and that's that particular case. The bigger issue is this. We've also created a more equitable environment in our workplaces where someone who might be on a parental leave or someone who has a medical appointment at the other end of town that can tune in for a half hour of a meeting or whatever the situation might be We're giving responsible adults the ability to participate in their jobs by having remote work available to them. How they choose to take on that responsibility is a very personal decision. And, you know, that's sort of the situation we're in right now. Yeah, and, and I mean, however you choose to make that decision, you're accountable to the folks in your area. So uh, an important discussion, I think. I wanted to ask you, the mayor's annual Christmas food drive, is it over yet or can people still get in on it? People can still get in on it. And let's, let's remember this. It's not just, you know, the annual food drive that matters. Any time of the year that you might have the means, the ability, the time 
to drop off a donation to the food bank or go and volunteer for a little while, it's always welcomed and it's always needed. All Perfect. Right. Very good message there. And just while we have you here, and this is uh, uh, not exactly in your purview, but something we've covered this morning quite a bit, was Ontario's decision to relax some of its liquor laws. And, you know, maybe you can pick up that bottle of wine at, at the uh, convenience store, or next time you're picking up groceries, you can pick up a head of lettuce and a bottle of wine. What are your thoughts on that? And again, I know it's out of your jurisdiction, but do you think it's about time that we switch this up in the province of Alberta? Well, you know, Alberta was a leader in the nation in terms of privatization of liquor stores. I, I grew up in Manitoba where you had to go to a government-sanctioned liquor store at certain hours. Um, and the only way you could get, I guess what we would call off-sales, is to go to a hotel that had a bar linked to it. And mm-hmm. we had something called a vendor. So coming here was a very big surprise to me. Um, once again, I'm going to say this. I think people need to take personal responsibility for their actions. And the good people who are not going to abuse liquor use, um, they should be able to pick up a bottle of wine at their grocery store. But, you know, we've got people who um, abuse that right. And so we've got laws and standards that are in place. And I'm really happy this is outside of my purview. (laughs) Makes sense. Sometimes there are issues that we can just pass on to the others and let them make the hard decisions sometimes, right, (laughs) when it comes to that. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it, Madam Mayor. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too. Jody Gondek, Calgary Mayor. 705 on your Friday morning, and the Biden family dominated U.S. headlines this week with the Republicans pushing ahead with an impeachment inquiry of President Joe Biden in a congressional subpoena for his son, Hunter Biden. Joining us to break down the latest is Jennifer Johnson, Global News Washington correspondent. Welcome back to the program and happy Friday to you, Jennifer. A happy Friday to you too, Andy, and Sue, I think. Yes, Hi, she, yes. she's back uh, today. Uh, let's uh, begin with the latest, and that is this impeachment inquiry. Uh, can you tell us the basis behind it, Jennifer? Well, the Republicans have been pushing for this since taking over control of the House. And so they took a vote on Wednesday. And, of course, along party lines, uh, it was passed that there would be an impeachment inquiry of President Joe Biden. It centers on whether or not he helped family members um, with his influence as vice president under uh, President Barack Obama uh, get any sweet business deals overseas and whether or not he helped family members, mainly his son um, and possibly his brother, um, get, you know, multi-million dollar business deals because they used, you know, they dropped the Biden name, they promised influence at the White House because Joe Biden at the time was vice president. And so, the you know, Hunter Biden has been in the headlines for years with the Republicans basically saying that you know, he became a multimillionaire because, you know, he was promising um, foreign entities and foreign powers influence and, you know, favors because of his father. Uh, there is there are a lot of Republicans, even though all voted for this impeachment inquiry to go forward, that believe that there is no evidence of this. So it'll be interesting to see how this proceeds. Now, you mentioned Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden was supposed to appear before a congressional committee. Um, they they want to question him, but they want to question him behind closed doors. And what he said, he, he violated a subpoena, defied a subpoena to do this because he said, I will testify, but I'm going to testify publicly because, you know, basically they believe all of this stems back from, you know, stems back to Donald Trump and Donald Trump supporters. 
And he said, if I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk in public where there's going to be television cameras and people can hear what I have to say. I was going to ask you that. Is this kind of payback for, you know, the, the Democrats going after Donald Trump for so long about so many different things? I mean, still continues to this day. Is this sort of a little bit of, well, we can do the same thing? Right. I think it's absolutely retribution. I, you know, Hunter Biden has been indicted on in two different cases for tax evasion and other tax problems in the state of California on federal gun charges in the state of Delaware. Um, interesting, that special counsel, the attorney, the U.S. attorney that brought those charges was appointed by Donald Trump. However, he does face two different cases of federal criminal charges. So, you know, this whole other thing, the Republicans running the show with this impeachment inquiry even said that they want the you know hunter biden and others to testify under oath so that they could build up evidence that and get answers that they don't have so it's not like they're going in there with the evidence and saying okay we're going to nail them in an impeachment inquiry this is more like a fishing expedition and it's, it's definitely retribution for the two impeachment um cases against donald trump Let's switch gears, and we all know that the U.S. is one of Israel's biggest allies, rather. Uh, but President Biden has been critical of Israeli Prime Minister and his indiscriminate, uh, not my word, indiscriminate bombing of Gaza. Uh, what is the latest on that relationship? Yeah, well, things are getting a little sticky between the Biden administration and uh, Netanyahu, uh, the Prime Minister of Israel. Biden has been very supportive of uh, the prime minister, but in a campaign speech that he gave, I believe it was Tuesday night, uh, he did use the words um, indiscriminate bombing of Gaza. And he was concerned about the growing civilian death toll in Gaza. So the U.S. today is dispatched, well, yesterday, Jake Sullivan, and today the defense secretary and the um, chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And they are all in Israel talking to the Netanyahu uh, officials about better targeting bombing, not to give up on Hamas and ridding Gaza of Hamas, but to try to decrease the civilian death toll um, and try to, you know, target the bombing so that it's, you know, not killing so many civilians. This is, you know, it's, it's a sticky situation because the U.S. is probably Israel's biggest ally and, you know, it. it it, but there's, you know, there's so much international concern about the civilian death toll, the children being killed in Gaza. So, you know, it's, it's a, as I said, it's a kind of a sticky situation mm -hmm. right now. But U.S. officials are over there trying to um, negotiate some kind of deal. Jennifer, another one we wanted to talk to you about, and this is certainly making a lot of headlines for south of the border for us, seeing this case about the Texas woman who's looking for an abortion. And boy, it seems to be a political hot potato, doesn't it? Yeah, this is this is a mess. I mean, this is a woman who wants to have children, is about six months pregnant, and has found out that she has what's called a trisomy 18, which is a chromosomal um, deficiency defect, basically. And um, what's happening is she's carrying a child that will not live outside the womb and is missing, you know, critical organs. And the child, there's a chance that if she takes this child to term, she will not be able to have children again. And these children always die, and they die pretty horrific deaths. I mean, they're they're subjected to a lot of pain because they're missing, you know, as I said, key parts of their body. Um, so she had to appeal to the courts in Texas to get an abortion, where they're illegal at this point. And so, the uh, you know, it's gone through various stages of the court, and appeals court granted her permission to have an abortion. Then the Texas Supreme Court stopped that. 
And so she basically said, I'm leaving the state to get an abortion. I mean, she was advised by all doctors to have an abortion, mm-hmm. not only for the child's sake, but for her future health. And, um, and you know, it's just one of those cases where women in America say, look, this is not a simple issue. Abortion is, you know, there's a lot of layers to, you know, why women need and have to have abortions. And, you know, this is a case that has gotten national attention and, and has infuriated a lot of women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's just it's one of those things where, where women just are getting angrier and angrier. And the question is, you know, how much is that going to spill over the ballot box come November? And, you know, polls are showing quite a bit because, you know, women don't like to see other women suffering like this. And, and as I said, this woman desperately wants to have a child, but this is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's a very tragic situation. It is. Still uh, talking in the medical world, but a a bit of a different angle here, uh, Jennifer, and that's vaccines. I know that on our side of the border, the flu is just kind of raging this year in Canada. And now the CDC has come out and said there's an urgent need to boost vaccination coverage across the U.S. due to respiratory disease. Uh, Is this something that you think people, from what you're hearing from people in your neighborhood or even within your line of work uh, there, Jennifer, uh, that have just had enough vaccines and they're vaccined out? Yeah, I think they're vaccine weary. I think you're you're right, Andy. I just I, I talk to people, and you know, most of the people I talk to got you know the COVID vaccine, and the next one, and the next one haven't gotten this latest one, and even you know, reluctant to get the flu vaccine. I mean, I I feel like when I talk to people, they say, "Well, I'm getting it anyway." Everybody I know got the vaccine, got COVID this time around, you know. But that and everybody I know got the flu vaccine in September, October, has gotten the flu now. So there's a, I think it's just a case of just, you know, people, as I said, people are vaccine weary. Yeah. But, the, you know, the flu is raging down here. RSV is, is, is pretty high, but not as bad. Um, but they're warning again, you know, I mean, we've got holiday parties and everybody's out and about and people have let down their guard. Nobody's wearing masks. So it's going to be interesting to see what's going <laughs> to, what unfolds in January. Yeah. But, I- yeah I, People are very reluctant here. Same. And, and our little germ carrier kids are coming home from school for the holidays oh too, right? And bringing it all home. So, yeah, same problem here for sure. Uh, you, we hope you stay well. And thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington correspondent. 8.35 now and Christmas. It's a time to relax, let loose, hang out with friends and family. But if you're heading to the company Christmas party... Be sure not to embarrass yourself. Joining us to talk about what you should and shouldn't be doing at the company Christmas party is Melanie Peacock, HR management professional at Double M Training and Consulting and co-author of Understanding Human Resources Management, A Canadian Perspective. Good morning, Melanie. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Should we make the effort first off to go to the company holiday party? Is that something, is that sort of a, a must attend when you get invited to something like that? Well, I'm going to share what might be an unpopular perspective, but my response to that is yes. I'm going to emphasize the word company, holiday gathering in this. You know, it's the same as a meeting. You wouldn't say, well, I don't want to go to a meeting, so I'm just not going to show up. So it is a form of work. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't have some fun within appropriate professional and personal boundaries, but... Barring unforeseen circumstances or things that can't be accommodated or done, my counsel is yes, everyone should make an effort when invited to attend a company holiday function. 
Okay, I, I want to you know draw a line in the sand here, uh, Melanie, and uh, I guess throwing it out there that attend doesn't mean that you have to be there from seven o'clock till two a.m. and empty the bar, does it? <laughs> Andy. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, uh, it it certainly doesn't mean that, and I would advise not to do that. And, you know, it's interesting, like when you said 7 p.m. to 2 a.m., you raised an interesting point that while it's incumbent upon each of us to respond appropriately to invitations to a company holiday event, there is a lot of responsibility for those hosting the event. Now, why does it have to be an evening event? You know, we have to think broader and be more inclusive. We talk a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And a company holiday event can be a wonderful opportunity to illuminate and advance that. But we have to change our perspectives and our understanding of what that means. So first thing I would encourage companies is to make sure that you have a broad array of employees involved in actually planning the event. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the human resource department's responsibility to do that. You know, bring in other perspectives, bring in other voices. I know from my own experiences, when I talk to different people, they've shared things that could or couldn't be offered during these events that I never would have even thought of. So I'll give you some examples, like timing. Again, does it have to be an evening event or could it be held in an afternoon? Um, Could you allow people to bring one significant other? It could be a friend, a sibling, Uh, a partner so that you know you're thanking not only employees but offering an opportunity to recognize those that support them Um, does it have to be something where only certain food or music or beverages are offered you know we have to expand our thoughts about these um, on that note, uh, do you th- is it so? If you if you believe that it's really it's a it's a it's a work function, we should treat it as such, and we should attend or make an appearance at least. Do you recommend taking a guest with you then, or is it tough sometimes to take your partner who doesn't really know the people that you work with necessarily, and and you're talking business and they kind of get left out, or is it a good thing to bring your partner or somebody that you love with you? Well, the first thing is to make sure that that person is included in the invitation i've been involved in some circumstances where people show up with a gaggle of people and you're like wow uh this was supposed to be an employee only event so you know that's the first thing is to understand the parameters around who is invited and then i think you think strategically about who you bring you know i'm very blessed to have a partner who's used to me just running off and chatting (laughs) with other people and he's very capable of uh you know in engaging in conversation appropriately with other people. But yeah, you're right. There is some expectation that when you bring someone else that they might not feel as comfortable. But you know, you have those conversations with them and you think strategically about who you're inviting if you're allowed to bring someone along. Hmm. Okay, so to, to, to uh, you know, I, I want to phrase this the right way, Melanie, but to ensure that you have a measured good time, you don't overstay your welcome, um, you don't uh, you embarrass yourself ultimately, mm. is, is it important or should I have a game plan going in with either myself or, or with my date as far as how long I'll be there and how many uh, alcoholic beverages I may consume? Absolutely. You think about it in advance. And again, I'm going to use that strange analogy, liking it to a meeting. When you go into a meeting, you have an agenda. You have an idea of what's going to be discussed, how long it's going to take, what you're going to contribute. And, yeah, there's some natural ebb and flow, right? We don't want to make this so robotic that it takes out any of the enjoyment and opportunity to connect with people on a personal level. Now, again, I think about the party organizers. They have some responsibility in this. 
So, for example, I've been to an event where the hosts had what we call networking cards spread out throughout the event. So conversation starters. So people that say, oh, my gosh, what am I going to talk about when we're not talking about budget or, you know, year-end reporting? And there are other topics that are appropriate that start to spark conversation and exchange of information and ideas. But yet you should always, you know, be aware of boundaries, have a game plan for how you're going to get there, where you're going to park, what you're going to wear, uh, how you're going to get home. All of those things need to be addressed. One final question for me is at this holiday party, do I talk to the boss? Do I maybe say a quick hi and then go hide in my corner or hang out with my friends? Or should I spend some time talking to the boss and and those in power and maybe that can help me further my career, for example? Yes, is my simple answer. And I know that that can be awkward and not natural for some people. But you know, leaders, managers, are people too <laughs> and it's a great question because uh, in my experience over my 30 plus years in HR it's amazing to me how many times after an event or even after a company initiative the managers and the leaders will say to me gee nobody thanked me you know we sent out bonuses and nobody bothered to thank me nobody recognizes the work and efforts that I do so even if it's something as simple as happy holidays Thanks for hosting this event and inviting us. You know, something that simple, just those nice formalities and pleasantries can go a long way. Great points, and it's one of those cases where I think that common sense might not always be so common, and there are some protocols. Thank you so much for sharing your time, Melanie. Thank you, and happy holidays, everyone. You too. Melanie Peacock, HR Management Professional, Double M Training and Consulting, co-author of Understanding Human Resources Management, a Canadian Perspective.